You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for our newest segment on Eye on the Prize. This picture retrospective review. I don't even know what the title for it is. Just we're going to talk about best picture winners. Woo. Okay. So basic premise of this is that we realize not every week has like the most adventurous news stories. And we've kind of exhausted the decade in review element that we did last season. This time, though, what we had an idea for, we really want to talk about some of the best some of the best pictures that we, especially ones that we haven't seen. And especially because when you think about it, we have a very different period of time that we're reviewing movies. You know, we have all this history of film, all these films that are, you know, gone on to be respected or, you know, derided in some cases like this film here for being best picture candidates and seeing, well, whether or not they're good subjectively, we have that kind of thing too, but what's their legacy? What has happened because of best picture winners? You know, what, what actors came out of it? What, uh, what careers have risen or fallen from it? This is the stuff we want to cover with this little segment. And I'm super excited to launch this with my good friend here, Brad. Brad, how are you doing? Good. Uh, happy to be a part of this new adventure into the heart of darkness, or the best <laughs> picture winners, uh, as they would say. I, I've not heard it used in that context by anybody else. So, all right, there you go. Brad is coined Heart of Darkness to describe Best Picture. <laughs> anyway. Uh, right, here we go. So we I, – I, I'm sure you saw the picture for this review and you're like, driving this daisy? They want to launch this with that? Now, keep in mind, this is one that Brad had watched recently and I decided, you know what? I've never actually watched Driving Miss Daisy all the way through. And I really wanted to get a fresh take on it because I've seen like – snippets of it on tv but i've never actually sat down and watched it from start to finish also i realized too there's a lot of these best picture winners the derided ones the ones that so i'm sure a lot of you looked at this image for the review and you're like driving this daisy why the heck would they launch this with that well Partly because Brad did just watch this one recently, and when he mentioned that he saw this one recently, I realized, you know what? I've actually never watched Driving Miss Daisy all the way through. Like, I never actually sat down. I've seen snippets of it on TV now and then, but I never actually sat down and watched it all the way from start to finish. And that made me think about all these other Best Picture winners I hadn't seen, and especially the ones where you're like, well, nobody cares about that one because it's blah, blah, blah kind of thing. Like, you know, say Crash or these kind of films. But I feel it's unfair to have a past judgment on a film like this without actually seeing it myself. So, yeah, this is Driving Miss Daisy, released in 1989, and, well, you know what? Brad, why don't you give us a general gist of what the plot synopsis is? Driving Miss Daisy is the story of Daisy Worthen, that's how you say her name, who went out for a drive one day and wrecked her car. So her worried son, played by Dan Aykroyd, a very handsome Dan Aykroyd, I might add. At least at first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, at first, absolutely. Suggest to his mother, uh, you need some help, you know, you're you're an old lady and old ladies need help and this isn't out of spite towards the elderly but because I'm your son. So <laughs> she's completely against that, of course, cuz she's not a baby. She is a stubborn old baddie lady. Oh, absolutely. And a retired teacher, so treating her like a child isn't going to fly. 
So enters Holcomb, her assistant, played by the always amazing Morgan Freeman. Uh, Hoke Colburn is his name, who insists that he help her out because he's being paid to. And through this service to her, as it is his job, and her bickering towards him not wanting to be treated like a burden, uh, they develop a pretty fascinating and honestly unconditional loving friendship which spans throughout the ages. I believe this film covers around 30 or 40 years. Yeah, I think it's about 25 because it starts in 1948 and it ends somewhere around, oh, 1973. So yeah, about like oh, there you go. 25, 30 years kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, 25, 30 years. Very good. So what was interesting about this, um, you know, so I looked up a bunch of history about this film. So this originally was an off-Broadway play that was developed by the writer here, which name is... Oh, it is Alfred Uri, I think they pronounce it. And uh, he, I mean, on top of one thing, this play was so popular at the time, it won the Pulitzer Prize. Like, it was a huge deal when oh, wow. it came out. And that's why it got made into a movie two years later. They're just like, oh, wait, this play? We got to pay attention to this. <laughs> yes. So he adapted the screenplay um, from the script, I mean, from the, from the stage to this movie script. And also, apparently, he actually based this on the story of his grandmother and her chauffeur. A very, very similar story, apparently. And you can tell watching this movie, this is incredibly personal for him, especially. Like, this is, looking up his history and the backgrounds and his other plays and stage work, he, this is very much his life. Like, you know, all the stuff the culturally, all the stuff with the details about Judaism and the South and the black culture and that stuff. This is stuff that is very relevant to his interests. And you can see it all on display on here. Now, what I got to say from this, first of all, you know, going into this film, you're probably going to realize this film is very light. You know, like it, it's deceptively subtle in certain elements. But when you think about the general plot, there's not really a whole lot of tension or conflict. Would you, wouldn't you agree? Oh, I agree completely. And the score, as uh, I spoke with you earlier, by Hans Zimmer, of all people, I was surprised to see yeah, him. Yeah, one of his very first scores, like, you know, early yeah. on. So. I, I have to admit, I'm a bit of a poser. I wasn't aware of Hans Zimmer as a tour de force until the blah from Inception. I knew that he was a, I knew that he scored movies and that he was a great composer, but I didn't know of his international fame until that time. So I was way off because he's been around forever making brilliant scores. And it's a very upbeat, kind of happy, snappy score that you'd expect in almost kind of like a sitcom. It's Um, very late 80s, early 90s. You know, that yes. <laughs> cheerful, yeah. optimistic score kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say most of the conflict, and this is where I think the film uh, succeeds as a whole, a lot of the conflict that uh, Miss Daisy has with Hoke comes from petty disagreements that uh, people have every day. It's not like, say, Crash, where someone enters a room and says, I'm a loud racist, and I am going to be a loud racist for a while. And, you know, the other character saying, well, maybe you shouldn't. She's very proud, and she's proud before we see her make kind of paranoid racist remarks. So it's almost a part of her character, and that character, of course, can change through friendship and love and all 
all the what the Pepe score implies is going on. But uh, what would you say about the first conflict they have with the missing salmon can? Uh, what did you think of that? Well, I mean, the, the, like I said, the, this stuff's very light. So any tensions and conflict, the salmon, the um, him having to drive, you know, over to Mobile, and he has to pull over to <laughs> yes. break all these other little tensions. I think generally the idea is that all these conflicts build to the ultimate point that this story is really about breaking her down. Because, yeah. you know, like I mentioned before, she is a stubborn, headstrong <laughs> Jewish Southern lady. Yes. You know, she yes. she's like, I can do this by myself. I don't need no driver. And it's funny because at one point she admits the point. She's like, well, I don't view myself as racist. You know, I don't yeah. think I'm a racist person. And that's such an interesting conversation. And somehow this old film is uh, – creating this conversation between her and her son, played by Dan Aykroyd there, that people are still having to this day. So I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, well, and the thing is that, you know, about that racism, it's a, it's a very institutional racism because it's the South, you know, especially during the 40s and, you know, right. getting up to Martin Luther King. And, you know, that's a big part of the story at one point. Yes, absolutely. But it's just the idea that this is really about her lifestyle and her character. You know, she is just, you know, regardless of whether she's white or black or anyone else is white or black, she is just a headstrong woman who has grown up, <laughs> yes, you know, upbringing her own <laughs> lifestyle. And even to the point that, you know, they make it very clear, you know, blacks obviously had it worse and they, they don't try to shy from that. Like, yeah, you know, <laughs> trying to compare the plight of Judaism to the plight of the blacks in America at that time is not equal. But Jews were not treated very nicely either in the South. You know, they were – at one point there's a major event that happens where they do something really horrible to the community in the town there. You're just like, okay, so – Pretty much if you're just not a Christian white male, you had it really bad at that time. Well, that, yeah, exactly. And that scene was so, for me, it resonated very well. I've only ever been othered, I would say, maybe 10 minutes out of my entire lifetime. But it was incredibly, incredibly disturbing for me to be treated in such a way. So during this major event, as you said, and poor Miss Daisy is almost beside herself and clearly shook, as the kids say, from this happening. And Hoke's trying to comfort her like, well, you know, that they'll catch those people, Miss Daisy, or it's going to be okay, Miss Daisy. There's bad people in the world. And her, like, demanding that he be quiet and not say that it was an attack and it must have been an accident and no one would go out of their, their way to hurt a Jewish temple like that was very interesting, to say the least. Yeah, and which and, is funny because in that in that moment, he also relates a story that's very personal to him about a friend whose dad. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, and she's yeah. like, "Oh, well, you can't compare that. That's unfair." It's like the point exactly. is they're both dealing with very different but very strong struggles in their own personal lives, and obviously, you know, the stuff with Morgan Freeman is pushed off to the side a little bit just because this movie is not really about trying to like you know, tackle racism like crashes. This movie is really about right. these two people, you know? And that's a little bit to the weakness of the film that it isn't trying harder to address those topics. But I will say this, you know, relating to the strength of that stuff, Jessica Tandy and Morgan Freeman in the lead roles, they're amazing. They're both fantastic in this movie. Uh, I completely agree. And as you said, the racial politics are kind of window dressing to a lot of their conversations. And I wonder if there were lesser actors in these roles, if it would have come off as cheesy almost. It probably would have. Yeah. yeah, since they're so, well, brilliant. It it really, 
Yeah, a lot of the feels, the catchy feels, that, and this is a very catchy, feely movie. You know, it's throwing feels out left and right, and it wants you to catch them. <laughs> a lot of it comes from the quieter moments between them where they're not saying anything, and just the, the performance of the emotion in, in, in the scene really sells uh, pitching those feels. And I caught all of them. I'm not going to lie. I, I watched this with my wife. <laughs> did it move we you? Did it get you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it did. It got me good. Eh, no, I... It took me back to that time when I was six years old. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you, you were saying. <laughs> when Mama <laughs> when Mama yeah, Martin yeah. was talking to me. And... <laughs> no, but I, I, I did feel very affected by this. I don't think I was totally moved, like, really hard in this film. Because it is, like I said, it's very light. It's very... It's very light on tension. It's very light on conflict. It's very light on strong, dramatic moments. But it's just so matter-of-fact and so slice-of-life in the way that it approaches it. I mean, and, you know, make no mistake, this movie is very much a play put on film. It feels like a play except for just certain parts that they have to move it around. You know, it's very, very stagey. Even the scenes where they interact with each other a lot of times feel, and the way they're shot, feel very stagey. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but they're done really, really well, and it's really the strength of the actors. Even surprisingly, Dan Aykroyd, who's really not in the movie a whole lot, but yeah, it's easily. I would say this is easily his best performance I've ever seen of them from him. Oh, I agree completely. Yeah. Um, well, no, no, yeah, okay. Yeah, best yeah, dramatic performance. You. Yeah. you know, obviously, <laughs> yes, you can't compare <laughs> you can't compare Ghostbusters or something like that to this movie, and so it's like yeah. Yeah, because he's tried a few grown-up roles, and most of them kind of suck, to be honest. But this is <laughs> this is yeah. probably his best dramatic work he's ever done. And it, yeah, yeah, his performance, the uh, funeral mortician guy in My Girl, and maybe that's because I was traumatized from that. I'm not sure, but I hated that performance from Dan Aykroyd. Oh yeah, this was great. He the, playing the doting son. He nailed it. Yeah, didn't yeah. ask too much of him, and he gave just the right amount. I'd say. Yeah. No, and so. Just covering this up with this movie, I feel like this movie is serviceable. And I feel like it, it, it's gotten a lot of backlash because of stuff we'll talk about after this main review section here. But, and I will say, this movie I don't think is great. You know, it's a very solidly done, very engaging little little indie film. I mean, I mean it's indie. It's, it was $7 million back in the day kind of thing. So it was, Oh, wow. It was a, <laughs> yeah, and consider it's $1989, so it's probably not, like, cheap, cheap, but it's a middle, it's a middle yeah. film. But, um, you know, saying that, it's still entertaining. And if you can get over the fact that, yes, it, it's not trying hard to address the racial politics. It's not trying hard to be, like, a poignant, relevant, like, this is going to shape the world kind of thing. This is looking at what life was like during that period of time, especially from this guy who, like I said, this feels extremely personal. This feels like something that he saw in his family and the way that his grandmother dealt with this stuff. You know, it really feels like he wants us to feel situated in this life with them and for the most part it's pretty convincing even the fact that like the way that it ages throughout the you know because it's it's very subtle there's no pronounced like 1925 1972 you know? yeah yeah it's a very subtle <laughs> aging technique they do and um among many oscar wins this movie got it won for makeup and at first i was like oh well really makeup is that what it won but at some point, I started to realize I was not noticing how subtly they were aging throughout the film. And I think that's a great credit to this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, the writing itself is good. It's, it's very affable and very well-done dialogue delivered by a bunch of really good actors. Um, you know, and I can't really think of a lot else to say about this film. It's just, like I said, it's, it's very kind of blindsidey in the sense that it's just, 
It's just a very blind. Uh, there you go. Blindsidey. Yeah, that's the perfect term. <laughs> well, and it, it made me think of like <laughs> blindside and the help, you know, that, that kind of like yeah. level of like. Oh, absolutely. Very, yeah, they're absolutely. very crowd pleasing. They they touch upon a tor- important topics, but they're not really like, you know, they're not they're not slamming the gavel down. Just like, no, this is what we're about. It's just <laughs> it's made yeah. to make people laugh. It's made to make people cry. It's made to make people feel good when they walk out of the theater. And, and I don't know. I I did enjoy it. I just I don't know if I fully loved it, kind of thing. And I can understand why it's gotten some of the backlash as being a weaker Best Picture winner because it's like, yeah, it's perfectly fine. Yeah, very very serviceable. Well, I can completely understand your argument there, or this discussion, because I was thinking, you know, kind of midway through, um, Hoke, he is a saint. And I know a lot of the 80s, 90s movies, you had your saint characters who were just kind and served and loved and had a love for life. Almost flawless. Now, I mean, yeah, to be fair, he's like, he, there's never anything he can't do in this movie. Exactly. And, uh, well, like you said, it, it's, it's kind of, it, it gets a little silly if you think too much about it. Like, at one point... Um, I figured he would be like, listen, you old bat. <laughs> you know, he, he's, he's incredibly patient with her. All things considered. Although I, I did like, there was one part where he had to be, you know, he had to put his foot down where she wouldn't let him yeah. bathroom break during a drive. Yeah, he was very, very calm about it. And he de-escalated the situation like a pro or like a saint would. Yeah, and, but at the same um, time, he had to be like, look, <laughs> I'm not a child. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm not your your servant. I am, you know, I'm paid to do a job. But if I have to use the bathroom, I'm going to use the bathroom. You can't tell me otherwise. And you know what? I'm taking the key, so you can't drive away from me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because yeah, yeah, he actually knew her pretty well. That's the first thing I thought. Like, well, she's just going to drive away. Oh, she's a stubborn old lady. <laughs> and that's a that's a good scene too. There was the feels just kept getting thrown at me. Uh, I'm I'm interested in discussing the other films of that year with you to to see which one was your favorite there. But that scene specifically when she's alone and he's out and this is at night and they just got done experiencing a, a car stop by some cops, so she's on edge because again she was kind of discriminated against and she insists that nobody's going to do that to her, but she's still shook from it. So her being alone and calling for him to come back. That broke my heart because in that moment, her being vulnerable, alone, and scared really pushed the point home that Hoke isn't her servant. He's her friend. And in her moment of vulnerability, she's calling out to her friend. So I caught that feel pretty hard. Yeah, no, that's one of the things it does very subtly is building this friendship to the point where she's even surprised how much she cares about him. You know, yeah, like exactly. She, she realizes at one point, and of course they spell it out more clearly near the end of the movie. <laughs> they do, yes. She really realizes <laughs> like the only person who's ever been fully by my side these last twenty five years is Hoke. The only person yeah. who really cared about me and attended to me and really cared about what I was thinking about was Hoke. He's the guy who was really there. And it's just it it's really it's really heartwarming. And and again, yeah. it's one of the things where it's hard because it's hard to like her at first because she is just a self <laughs> Not even self-ish, but she's very self-focused. She's very, you know, she has to be a strong woman. She has to be a tough woman kind of thing. But in saying that, you see in those moments, like you said, how vulnerable she actually is inside. You know, she's very insecure. She's very, you know, she's very worried about the way people perceive her. She's very judgmental about that. You know, she projects it on, you know, in these very 
kind of semi-racist, semi-anti-Christian remarks, especially with their Christian neighbors and that stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, he's like, what, are they Episcopalians? Jeez. You know? <laughs> yeah. But you realize that it's really about her having to open up and realize, yeah, you know, I'm flawed. I am not perfect. And I think the good thing about it, too, with Morgan Freeman's character, they never go full, like, magical mystical with him. Right. He's not, he doesn't solve all her problems. He's just her right, friend. Exactly. So I feel like that, yeah. that's the thing, like, I kept waiting for this movie to dip into that moment. <laughs> yeah. And I, I really appreciate right. that a lot. Because, um, yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, he was paid to do a job, and he just made a friend while doing it. Yeah. So, if uh, I may incredibly oversimplify the, <laughs> the message. Very oversimplified, but I think it's, it's, yes. it's, it is just a slice of life. If you want to watch a movie that's very yeah. easy to watch, I can see why this was this was a box office smash when it came out. They made, on a $7.5 million budget, it made $145 million in the box office. Oh, wow. Which is pretty impressive for that period of time. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, any last thoughts before you give your final rating? Uh, last, last thoughts in the rating. Um, I'm surprised... And not surprised that this gets a lot of backlash because I've never really seen a lot of Oscar winners. I've seen nominees be kind of the like, la, da, da, happy times. Enjoy yourself and have a good time with joy while watching a movie, you know, because like you said, the heavy drama brings in the awards. And this was just such a a nice, lighthearted, good little adventure story between two elderly people. Go, like slice of life, as you said. And, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It made me feel good. It did what it promised it would do. I got to learn that Hans Zimmer's actually been a genius for decades and not just <laughs> the past 15 years. So that was fun. I'd give it seven salmon, salmon cans um, in a pantry, and I'll even throw in an extra one because it, it made me feel good. And you good, sir. What, what did you think? You know, I, I kind of feel about the same range. Like, you know, I kept wanting to say that I really, really liked this movie, and I never disliked it, but there were very few moments where I thought, like, this really transcended to being great. But I think it's solid all the way through. I think it's enjoyable. You just got to go in knowing that it's it, – there is a reason why people have the reception towards it. It's fine. It's a perfectly fine, entertaining movie. Um, And the funny thing is, too, it's actually kind of short. Like, I didn't realize until I got to the point I'm like – Oh, this is only an hour and a half long. It actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it kind of flew by really quickly. Yeah, it's, it's Especially for something covering, as you said, twenty-five years. That's really short. <laughs> yeah, I expected it to be like you know <laughs> two hours because it's like yeah, yeah, all yeah. this history. It's like nope. By the time I thought it was gonna be over, it was over. It was over. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I would give it personally um, seven point five out of ten. Uh oh, seven point five out of ten awkward moments where you're not invited to a party. <laughs> yes, because that's really, that was probably the saddest part in the whole movie, and I don't want to get too much because it's a it is a bit of a spoiler ish scene, but that was definitely the low point in the film where you're just like, oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, it worked. It worked. It was. It was by that point I had been invested enough in their relationship out of anything else in this movie that I really just wanted to see that what the, how that happened. So. For sure, yeah. Um, so then moving on, we're going to talk a little bit about the legacy of Driving Miss Daisy, you know? Um, so first of all, like I said, so this was based on a Pulitzer Prize winning play. So already a high watermark, a high standard for this play. Uh, written by, like I said, Alfred Uri. I don't I don't know how you pronounce that. Uh, and then directed by Bruce Beresford. <laughs> now, what's interesting about these two guys, uh, 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 Uri and Beresford, 
they really have had very little else in their career to define them. Like, Uri, he got to start on theater, and he was mostly doing musicals, funny enough. And then what he's most well-known for is this play as part of a trilogy of plays that he wrote, which he called the Atlanta Trilogy. And they were all pretty much about the same kind of topic, where it's about white Jewish um, Americans who live in the South dealing with racial tensions. And uh, it was interesting because I looked at that, and it's like, oh, yeah, the last one, like um, the second um, play that he did that actually got onto Broadway, won the Tony Award for Best, for best Play. And then the one after that won the Tony Award for Best uh, Screenplay, you know, Best Book kind of thing. So it's, this has got a prestigious background behind it. And even um, they did a revival of Driving Miss Daisy in 2010 with Vanessa Redgrave and James Earl Jones in the role. In the role. Oh, wow. Which that's, oh, that's fantastic. Quite the pedigree, I must say. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I I'd think... S- I see that. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, I would see that, too. And then uh, Vanessa Redgrave got nominated for a Tony for that for that performance, too. Oh, good, awesome. good. Now, um, along with that, though, Bruce Beresford... Uh, I mean, because also, Uri is still alive, and he's still directing... I mean, well, he's, he's not really doing as much. He did this <laughs> funny thing. I looked up the trivia about what else he was going to do after this. He wrote a dramatization of yet another story about... <laughs> People who, you know, white people in the South dealing with black people, um, which was an adaptation of a documentary called From Swastika to Jim Crow, where it was Jewish professors who flee Germany to teach in the South and get involved with Jim Crow laws. Uh, with wow. Students. So this is just his thing. <laughs> wow. This is yeah. just his thing to do. And unfortunately, Bruce Beresford, that also became his thing to do. Because um, before <laughs> this, he directed... Decent amount of movies, you know, her, her Alibi, Crimes of the Heart, Side by Side, mostly films that nowadays have been forgotten. But uh, one film that I did actually see, and I love this movie, which is also a very slice of light, small film, uh, Tender Mercies with Robert Duvall. Have you ever saw that film? I have not, but Robert Duvall is amazing. Yeah, uh, Robert Duvall won, won an Oscar for this film, and I think it also won the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. But uh, it's a very slight, soft, southern set film, Robert Duvall, hmm. country singer. And it's very pro-Christian as well. It's a very religiously motivated film. Okay. It's just so it, – it's, again, it's a, it's a movie made for all the feels, you know. It, yeah. If you watch it, it's made to go <laughs> – make you go, aww, throughout like, all of it. <laughs> yeah, so much aww. Now, but the funny thing was this was definitely his high point, like, you know, Driving Miss Daisy. But after this movie, he really didn't do anything else worth noting. Um he directed this movie, Black Robe, which was mildly regarded decently. Um, also, Double Jeopardy, that film with um, – who was that in the lead role? Because, I, I mean, I've seen clips of this film, but it was it was a moderate hit back in the day. Um, but then mostly he's done TV work. Uh, this film called – and starring Pachovino as himself, Bonnie and Clyde, the TV version they made recently. Um, <laughs> and then he started doing a lot other, um, you know, socially conscious or – People dealing with black people stories where he did that Eddie Murphy movie, Mr. Church, if you remember that one. I have not, no. Uh, pretty much it's Driving Miss Daisy, but if you did really have the magical, mystical, you know, black person in this movie. Oh, no. Yeah, it was not good. <laughs> and funny enough, too, Eddie Murphy actually was considered for the role that Morgan Freeman played at one point. What? Wow. Could you imagine this movie with Eddie Murphy in the lead role? No, I'm not sure. Um, that would be... I don't know, man. <laughs> only, I only ever saw Eddie Murphy be dramatic in uh, Dreamgirls, and I haven't finished Dreamgirls. So I'm not saying he couldn't do it, but 
I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. What but to the, think of that? And huh. then, then Beresford, he did um, the Roots remake, which again, dealing with, you know, he, he, he kind of had a thing after a while. He was doing these kind of movies. And then he just recently got um, an Emmy nominated TV movie with Flint, that movie about the Flint water crisis. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, he, this was kind of his, his only notable film outside of Tender Mercies that he ever did. Okay. Um, but the person who obviously got the biggest career boost, and this was really, you know, the Oscar legacy, is all about Jessica Tandy. You know, yes. really her film. And uh, it's funny because she actually has been around for a long time before this movie, but she never hit superstardom until this film came out. Because uh, oh, wow. before this, she used to be a big Broadway star. And a fun fact about her, too, she was the original Blanche Dubois, um, or Dubois, however you say that, in Streetcar Named Desire, you know, the original um, uh, play with Marlon Brando. Yeah, Blanche Dubois. Yeah, she originated the part. She was the original person who did that role, and she won a Tony Award wow. for it. And which was oh, even wow. shocking, more shocking that when they made the movie version, they decided to not go with her. That was a huge blow to her career that she didn't get the movie adaptation of that. That's weird. Yeah. You know, so she kind of went into off and on popularity. She was much bigger on stage during the 60s and 70s where she won two more Tony Awards for The Gin Game and Foxfire. Um, but then, you know, and then she had a few things like building up to this, the 80s were kind of kinder to her. She did The Bostonians. She did According to Garp. Uh, also a pretty good film. Uh, and then the the big one she did right before this was Cocoon, if you remember that film. Oh, yeah, about the um, elderly people who feel young again thanks to the magic swimming pool. Yep, yep. Uh, she was one of the major parts there, uh, Alma Finley. Uh, you know, and it's obviously, so like I was saying, her, her biggest roles outside of uh, one other one she did, The Birds, back in the 60s with Alfred Hitchcock. Oh, The Birds is great. Yeah, she, uh, she plays the mother of one of the main characters in that one. All right. But yeah, Cocoon was kind of her big, you know, thing before this. Where it's like, okay, people are starting to rediscover how awesome Jessica Dandy is. And unfortunately, after she won the Oscar for this, where you know, she it was almost whatever people say about this film, everyone agrees that Jessica Dandy, yeah, Jessica Dandy was great in this movie. No, glad glad to hear it. Absolutely. Oh yeah, but after that, she really didn't do a whole lot else. And unfortunately, it's because five years later she died. But yeah. The last thing that she did of really big note. I mean, she did. Nobody's Fool, and a few other, you know, good films like Camilla and that stuff, uh, which was her last movie. But the other thing she did that she got an Oscar nomination for, which was really, really a good film, kind of like this too, Fried Green Tomatoes, if you ever saw that film. Oh, yeah, The Secrets in the Sauce. Yes, indeed. And uh, she plays the older <laughs> version of a character, and you discover okay. relevant later. But, you know, right. he was fantastic in that movie too. So it was kind of the, the last horrific uh, But it kind of became a thing where Southern Bells were kind of, her role to play, you know, Southern people, Southern characters. That was really her thing. She was really good at it. Oh, yeah. Blanche Dubois is the original Southern Belle. Sorry, Scarlett O'Hara fans, but well, that's, and I'm sticking that, to That's the that. funny thing, then, that, you know, Vivian Leigh, who played Scarlett O'Hara, would play her in the, the movie adaptation. Oh, really? <laughs> the competing Southern Bells with each other. Yeah, there you go. It all, it all yeah, time's a flat circle. There you go. <laughs> uh, so just a few more trivia setups, too. Uh, Morgan Freeman... Funny thing about this, too, he was the original um, actor who played this character on Broadway, too, or off-Broadway. Even though Eddie Murphy was teased about being cast in the role, it's no question, like, yeah, we got to get this guy. He, he's great playing this person. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. That's that's perfect. Which is funny, too, because this was really his first shot after um, Street Smart, where he got an Oscar nomination for that film. This was the one that really helped launch him to the mainstream as Morgan Freeman, as we know him today. Okay. Before this, he really didn't have a whole lot else. You know, he he did a lot of theater. He did a lot of television. He did a lot of kind of 
black roles back in the day, you know, the hoodlums and the black characters, which that's the thing. It's like he was just saddled with a bunch of lame parts for a long time until he yeah. really big respected roles, you know, where he was treated as a veteran, respected, serious actor. Not only did he do Driving Miss Daisy, but the same year he was in Glory, um, if you remember that film. Yes, I do remember Glory. Yeah, so it was the one-two punch of huge box office hits where it's just like, okay, you know, among many other actors, Morgan Freeman is going places. And sure enough, he is probably the guy who's gotten the most success out of this movie. Like, when you think about his career after Driving Miss Daisy, oh my gosh, like Unforgiven, Seven, Shawshank Redemption, oh, Oscar oh, nominated, yeah. Million Dollar Baby, Oscar winning, Batman, you know, the, the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy, Invictus, Oscar nomination, so much more afterwards. Like, he, he by far did the best of anybody in this, in this movie. Well, I think his range is also very present in this year because in Driving Miss Daisy, he has that, well, hey, how you doing, Miss Daisy? And it's a very kind, you know, warm-hearted character, brilliant, brilliant guy. And then in Glory, he's kind of this hardened veteran that's like, people die, man. People are dying out here. And he's very um, intimidating in that. So it's like uh, almost a 180 from what he was doing in that same year. And it shows that he has an incredible range. I know that the joke nowadays is Morgan Freeman talks like this and he narrates everything and he has a nice voice. And just this experience watching Miss Daisy and hearing you say he was in Glory that same year really puts an exclamation on just how profound his performances are and different his characters are. Now, saying that, too, for people who didn't go on to do much, um, Dan Aykroyd, man. (laughs) Okay, so leading up to this point, he he did SNL. He was in, like, a lot of comedy films, Ghostbusters, Blues Brothers, um, Trading Places. He even had a part in Temple of Doom, which I didn't realize. Totally forgot about that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Hmm. Um, and then afterwards, <laughs> after he did this, which was, again, regarded as being, like, his one truly great performance he ever did, he went on to do a whole lot of crap. <laughs> he had a few blips every now and then, like he did, you know, Tommy Boy is not exactly a great movie, but he had a very memorable part in Tommy Boy. Um, he had a bit part in Chaplin. He was pretty good in that one, too. Um, actually, in the most recent thing that I saw him in that was he was actually good in, Get On Up, if you remember that movie, the James Brown movie. Yeah, yeah, Chadwick Boseman was it? Mm-hmm. Uh, he played the uh, the manager, you know, his uh, his boss in that one, and he was actually pretty okay. good in that film. Like, it, it's pretty much him doing this role just as a music executive. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so he's like, I've done this before. <laughs> yeah, he could make it work. Yeah, but then he also starred in notably some of the worst movies ever made, including North, that film with Elijah Wood when he was a kid. Very famously, that that's the one that Eber was just like, this is maybe one of the worst movies ever made. In his. <laughs> Uh, same with that movie he wrote Nothing But Trouble which no everyone's like what the frick were you thinking man <laughs> with that film uh, I haven't even seen that is it really bad it's, I've never actually seen it myself but I've seen bits of it and I've never Oof. heard I've never heard anyone say anything good to, when, when they talk about that movie so <laughs> oh man <laughs> yeah so he suffered the most uh, with all that trivia about the actors and the, that stuff let's talk about the actual year of the Oscars so this was 1989 um, the movie was nominated for nine Oscars, uh, for nine Academy Award nominations, and it won four for Best Picture, Best Actress, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Makeup. Some of these I have not seen, and I can only judge based on what I know about the movies kind of thing, but let's look at some of the ones that it was up against. So for Best Picture that year, the nominees, uh, the other nominees were Born on the Fourth of July by Oliver Stone, uh, Dead Poets Society by Peter Weir, Field of Dreams by 
somebody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, Phil Alden Robinson. And then My Left Foot, uh, the movie by Jim Sheridan. So that's a very prestigious lineup of people who was up, it was up against. And, you know, it's funny because when you think about other years of Oscars, this is incredibly populist in comparison. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, everyone I know still watches all of these movies. So that, that says something about them. And, yeah, I'm pretty sure Field of Dreams was also huge. At the box office, I hope it was. Oh, yeah, no, no. Uh, Dead Poets Society and Field of Dreams were both big box office hits. When they- box office hits, all right. You know, and they were very much like, you know, again, like they're very populist films. Very much like, oh, yeah, these are films people actually watched and liked, you know? Yeah. <laughs> they didn't need a best popular <laughs> exactly. film Oscar to get recognized. <laughs> Not necessarily, uh, these films make me feel things, but yay, I'm happy now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in Dead Poets Society, mostly makes you feel good except the ending where you're like, oh, well, here's the heavy. But um, well, yeah, that's true. Now yeah. I think out of these films, if you were to say that anyone else would have won Best Picture, just from your knowledge, either you've seen them or you know about them, who do you think should have gotten Best Picture, or do you feel this was deserved for Draven Miss Daisy? Well, just running down these, uh, Born on the Fourth of July. The only thing I honestly remember about that is Tom Cruise is really pissed off about something. <laughs> but I haven't, I haven't seen that in years. Well, I mean, he got shot in Vietnam and he's crippled, so of course he's pissed <laughs> yeah, off. <laughs> well, I haven't seen that in years. That really was me as a little kid going, what you watching, Grandpa? And I'm like, wow, Maverick from Top Gun sure is angry. You have a very interesting childhood. <laughs> oh, Grandpa, my Grandpa would put on anything, and he didn't care, you know, so. Dead Poet Society, that has a lot of good performances in it as well. Mm-hmm. Um a little feel good. I think it has kind of set an awkward expectations for educators because people see it and they're like, oh, I'll be wild and eccentric. And that's how you teach. So I kind of disagree with that. Field of Dreams is like salt of the earth, heart of America. Yeah, I, th- I think people will be watching that one forever. If you My build left it, foot, they will come. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My left foot is definitely the most as far as I've understood the Academy Awards since I've been alive, oscar picture of all of these. Um, I'm not going to jump on the anger side that Miss Daisy won, but Field of Dreams, that would have been my pick if I could decide at the time. Okay. How about you, good sir? Well, and I, I haven't seen Field of Dreams all the way, so I can't judge that. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. I, I, I do like what I've seen of Field of Dreams. You know, I will say, though, I think of these ones, it would have to be between Born on the Fourth of July and My Left Foot. Because My Left Foot is, you know, and again, I haven't seen a lot of these movies, but My Left Foot, the stuff I've seen of it and Daniel Day-Lewis's lead performance are amazing. Because uh, he won Best Actor that year over Morgan Freeman, and I think that's totally deserved. It's like, yeah, Morgan Freeman's great, but the stuff Daniel Day-Lewis had to do in My Left Foot, because he's playing a, you know, a guy with cerebral palsy, is phenomenal. Absolutely. So it would have to be a toss-up between the two, and I think I would give it to my left foot. I think that's the one that should that should have won that year. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because the performance was the Daniel Day-Lewis of Oscar performances, I like to call it. And I think maybe that's why it didn't win because people that saw it are like, wow, Daniel Day-Lewis is freaking incredible. And then, you know, it's like, well, what did you think of the film? I don't care about the film. I want Daniel Day-Lewis to win all the awards. So I think the film kind of got tossed aside in the 
astounding um, detail of uh, Daniel's performance. Uh, Sir Lewis's, it was United. I, I have no idea. Maybe, but do you think that's hap- that does happen? I think a lot of the times is an amazing performance will almost sidetrack the film as a whole because everyone just wants to talk and praise the performance. So the film as a whole, I think. Well, at the same time, we, we've seen Oscar winners that do that, even with uh, Patton back in the day, where it's like, yeah, the thing that everyone talks the most about Patton is George C. Scott as General Patton. Yeah, you know, the film itself is regarded well too, but that's the one thing where they're like. Oh, yeah, you know, everything else is good in this movie, but just watch this dude. Watch the opening <laughs> monologue. Absolutely. That opening monologue is still watched, yeah. Even on, you know, just pop it in YouTube, listeners. It's pretty amazing. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah, My Left Foot, definitely the most Oscar film of these Oscar nominations, at least from what I'm seeing. Uh, yeah, that one in Born on the Fourth of July are the most Oscar-y films. Yeah, I need to rewatch Born on the Fourth of July. So you say he was pissed off because he was shot. Well, the whole thing is an anti-Vietnam film because, you know, it's Oliver Stone. So, of course, it's going to be a big – and he won um, Best Director for that movie. So it's like, yeah, it's very much Oh, a, he did? Wow. Yeah, because the whole, the whole point of it – this was shortly after he did Platoon. It's the whole thing that like, this is the, okay. the perspective of the people who came home and they were messed up from the war. You know, people who – you know, he got uh, – Tom Cruise's character got shot and crippled uh, during a battle in there. And he's – back home and he's just his life has gotten horrible and he, i see yeah so it's 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 him becoming a protester and that kind of stuff so that you know that one okay. is a very oscary film as well well that also would be stone's bread and butter since he uh, was a veteran of that war if i'm not mistaken. oh yeah that, that and platoon are both very personal movies for him so you can, yeah and you can tell you can tell yeah, yeah. um so anyways <laughs> though uh, the other wins that he was up um that this movie was up for with best actress you had uh, Jessica Tandy, you know, she won, the, of course, the category. And everyone else in this category, I have no idea about these movies except for one. So it's uh, Isabel Ajani for a movie called Camille Claudel. Um, nice. Yeah. Where she Good plays the main character. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Pauline Collins in a film called Shirley Valentine. Never seen it. Uh, Jessica Lang for Music Box. Never seen it. And then Michelle Pfeiffer for The Fabulous Baker's Boys, which seems like the one that everyone else was rooting for along with Jessica Tandy. But I think out of those ones, again, I can't fully judge because I've never heard of those other three movies. But Driving Miss Daisy seems the one that's like, yeah, if anyone should win for anything, it should be her for that film. Yeah, I I agree with this win. Um, I'm also on, on the same side as you here. The only thing I've ever heard of is Michelle Pfeiffer for The Fabulous Baker Boys. I actually went to that hotel where some of it was filmed, it's in oh. uh, Seattle, I believe. Yeah, Seattle. They always mention it if you stop by. And yeah, her in uh, was it Jeff Bridges. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a fun film to revisit. I'd recommend it. But I think they got it right with Jessica Tandy on this one. But it uh, it is kind of sad because when's Michelle Pfeiffer gonna get a, get another chance? You know. Well, she's in Ant Man now, so she's at least relevant again. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Just getting, um, yeah, getting that money. So then uh, for Best Adapted Screenplay, the other nominees that year were Born on the Fourth of July, uh, Enemies, A Love Story, Field of Dreams, and My Left Foot. This is a hard one. I couldn't really say. I mean, Field of Dreams, I think it's a very crowd-pleasing movie, and it's still well done, but it's not like, you know, it's not like saying, like, oh, that one should have won easily. But between um, Born on the Fourth of July and My Left Foot, Again, I think those two probably would have been just as good contenders, but uh, I, I, I don't know. It's like one of the things where like, I can't fault the screenplay in Drive Miss Daisy for being bad, but it is less punctuated, less dramatic than those other two films. 
you know? So I think I would have to give it to one of those two. What about you? Yeah, I, I can agree with you on that. Um, I'd have to, with, with Adapted, I always have a hard time picking the winners because I'm like, well, I, I didn't read the original that it's adapted from. I'm a bad judge of this. And, you know, it's like, come on, be a man and pick one. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And uh, you'll see in our upcoming Oscar poll that I'll probably get that one completely wrong because of that indecisiveness. But, um, yeah, the, the dialogue in my left foot and the way it's delivered, oof. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. Uh, good for that Tony winner for getting an Oscar. I'll leave it at that. But I think he might have might have had some horseshoes on the night he won this one. Yeah, no, I think, you know, this was back in the day when Jim Sheridan actually made good movies and not just, <laughs> which is sad because Jim Sheridan is like one of yeah. those great filmmakers from the 90s and the 2000s. You know, he did My Left Foot. He did In America. He did... Um, in the name of the father, he did a lot of really great films, and then lately he's just kind of produced garbage. Well, you know, it, it happened. It happens to everybody, you know. Yeah. Seasons change, and then time for, passes us by. Yeah, and then for makeup, we have this one, and it was up against the Adventures of Baron Munchausen, and then this movie called Dad that I have never heard of before. I, you know, I can't fair, fully say. I mean, Baron Munchausen has some really cool makeup stuff, but I do feel like this one was another one where Driving Miss Daisy got it right. Because those aging effects are just so well done and so organic looking that I can't really fault it at all. Well, I'm actually a huge fan of the aging process through makeup. So I agree with you. Um, uh, Amadeus and uh, The Exorcist are my favorite uh, aged up makeups that have been done. And uh, I've said that to, uh, you know, some people and they're like, The Exorcist had age makeup? <laughs> yes, it did. Yes, it, it wasn't just the spinning heads and the pea soup. Go look uh, go look up the aging makeup they used in that. It'll blow your mind. <laughs> when you think and, of how old the characters are in that, and you're like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. They aren't actually that old? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, you know your stuff. I like that. Yeah. So I completely agree. I, I like the subtle aging. And it, it's subtle. And then, you know, by the end, everyone looks incredibly old. And the build up to that. I loved it. Totally agree with this win. Absolutely. So we at least agree with two of the four winners, I think. (laughs) Yes, sir. Which I think that's totally fair. I think it's fair to say, like, yeah, I don't think this film really deserved best picture. It's not a bad movie. It wasn't a best picture winner. Now, for the film, the categories it lost, though, I mean, again, there's really going to be no surprise with a lot of these. Best actor that year was Daniel Day-Lewis in My Left Foot. Come on. Of course he was going to win that. (laughs) Yes. Um, Best supporting actor, the winner that year, was Denzel Washington in Glory, which, again, Come on. Are you going to say that Dan Aykroyd was better than Denzel Washington? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, he originated the uh, Denzel Washington single-eye tear in Glory, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that, that was the, the big scene for that film. That's that the, was the first time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Incredible scene, yeah. Um, so then Best Art Direction that he was nominated for, the winner that year was Batman, you know, the original Tim Burton one. And Oh, cool. Come on. Yeah, again, Batman yeah. would win that for sure. Gotham as a character. That's the only time Gotham's really been a character in the Batman movies. I stand by that. Well, except you know, for go, Gotham go in uh, the, the TV show, which is also. Oh, no, no. We're, we're, we're just talking about the live action films now. The TV <laughs> show's incredible. And then um, Best Costume Design went to Henry V. Again, almost any time you make a period piece, you know, a, a <laughs> yeah. classic period piece compared to Driving Miss Daisy, those are going to win. And Absolutely. Henry V has amazing costumes, so I won't fault it. So. Uh, and then fe- best film editing that year was Born on the Fourth of July. So yeah, I think that probably deserved a win for that one too. So 
and again, you know, maybe this isn't a whole lot of excitement hearing about this stuff, but it's just interesting to see the competition for that, you know, to see what the legacy is. And I think this one, for as much as Driving Miss Daisy is regarded as being one of the weaker Best Picture winners, it, it inspired a lot of really good success from some of its key players, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, even when you look at some of the crew members, uh, you know, I'm just going to breeze through them because like freaking Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer was one of his <laughs> earliest scores <laughs> yes. they did. Like, I think he did this the year after he did it for Rain Man, which was also a Best Picture winner. So, you know, that's pretty amazing. Um, although a few people went on to do kind of crap in this movie, too, like photographer <laughs> Peter James. The only thing that he did of note after this movie was Meet the Parents. <laughs> oh, I don't even know what that is. What is that? Meet the Parents with Robert De Niro and Ben Stiller. Oh, that's right. How, How do you not know what been? Meet the Parents is? <laughs> no, I got it. Meet the Parents, was that That was the first one of the, the Fokker trilogy, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, so, that's been a while, man. Yeah, like, but then um, the editor <laughs> who, who edited this movie, actually, you know, again, his post-career was not very good. Like, freaking one of his big movies he did after this was Anaconda's 2. Anaconda's 2. Um, I haven't seen it. That's Don't watch it. Is, that's straight to DVD, isn't it? Pretty much. Um, but the stuff he did before <laughs> this was actually kind of amazing, where he did Big Trouble in Little China, and he did 48 Hours, and he did A Soldier Story. You know, he had a bit of success uh, you know, before this movie. Yeah, those are cool movies. I'll still watch Running Man from time to time. And then, um, the but pro- I'm I'm a Schwarzenegger fan, so there yeah. you go. And then uh, the production designer he went on to do uh, Merchant of Venice, you know, the Pacino one. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. He did Born on the Fourth of July as well, so he had a big year that year. Oh wow! And then the costume designer Elizabeth Bride, who sadly died very young at age 42 in 1997. Um, the the films she did after this movie, right right afterwards, were Shot Redemption, Fried Green Tomatoes, Thelma and Louise, and um, John Travolta's Michael, you know, which that one's not as great an example, but like, yeah, she had a trio of hits after this stuff. No, that was a good, that was a good costume design. You know, there's too many CGI wings these days. Let's get back to practical. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's, this is a good place to kind of tie it off there. Yeah, I think this is, you know, for a first pilot run, and I apologize. Thank you for the people who are still listening. This is a very rough one because we're kind of finding our footing for this recording. (laughs) Yep. Brad, I want to thank you for being a part of this. Uh, This was a lot of fun talking about this. And I actually... Overall, enjoyed watching this movie. Uh, apparently, as we see, it started some careers, kind of ended a few careers of people just doing nothing but trash afterwards. <laughs> it's interesting. It's interesting to see where the you know the focal point of this movie is to where you know people go on and before and afterwards. So, yeah, thank you for being part of this. And uh, anything else you want to promote or uh, share with the people before we close? Had a great time. Thank you for inviting me. Always appreciate it. Love talking about movies. Uh, go see Driving Miss Daisy. I promise you it is the most friendly and heartfelt of the rather tragic and depressing other Best Picture nominees that may have been better <laughs> but didn't didn't quite uh, win that year. So thanks again. Absolutely. And uh, you can find me here on The Breakfast Pub. I write the notes for that and occasionally host it. And you can find me on The Screener Squad, which I subject Brad to every now and then just because, you know, you, you want to work your way up to the top, Brad? This is where you start. You start with... <laughs> you start with the basement and you start with three, but then um, we'll get you something better next time. Don't I trust? Trust me. Trust me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. So uh, tune in later. We'll probably have Shaq back on next time. Uh, we'll talk a bit about Kato, um, you know, when he's uh, he's there at the film festival. Right now. And then we'll have some more reviews of Best Picture winners, hopefully a little bit more confined because we'll get, we'll get a rhythm with this. Don't worry, guys.